Are you thirsty for inspiration and curious about the life-changing process of transformation? Welcome to The Transformationist. Whether you already know the transformation you're looking for or you're looking for guidance on the way there, these stories of hope will give you practical tips, plenty of encouragement and an invitation into real, life-giving transformation, whether you're transforming culture or becoming more yourself. Your story is welcome here. So I usually release a podcast every week um, and I've been doing that for a period of six or so months and I'm not one that's usually lost for words but last Friday, uh, the 15th of March, this hideous event happens in New Zealand and I find myself usually verbose, really at a loss for words and not feeling like any of the content I had ready to go was suitable or appropriate and mainly I just felt too sensitive and raw to even think about talking about anything else Mm. and yet words alone didn't seem enough yeah and for me it's been difficult to do podcasts because of work commitments over the last few months but it was i just couldn't miss the opportunity is a weird word but I, I, i couldn't miss the chance to actually sit down and talk about this with you and just sort of it's been a week Mm. You know, it's been a week since it happened and go over the events that happened. For our New Zealand listeners, obviously, we all know what we're talking about. For our overseas listeners, perhaps you may have missed it, but uh, last Friday uh, there was a mass shooting at two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand by a person whose name will not be spoken during this podcast. Absolutely not. And, um, yeah, it is horrendous. How... Tasha, have you been, what was your first impressions? Let's just, let's just go right back. Let's just start from the beginning. What was your impressions when you first heard about it and how did you hear about it? Uh, I heard about it first um, through a, a news app alert that arrived on my phone. And so I had that morning had friends from the US uh, arrive into the country. And so we were um, doing a bit of a tiki tour. I was introducing them to the city. And then all of a sudden this news alert pops up and of course the first thing that I'm the the first response is there's a little bit of the journalist and the news hound in me that still remains and so I want to know what's happening my thoughts are immediately about what is the what's the police response what is the media response I'm thinking about friends in in the business who are all of a sudden being mobilized Uh, and then I'm actually trying to process what what the hell is happening here Um, partly because I've just got home to New Zealand. That is my safe haven uh, at the bottom of the South Pacific. That is my my place where things are safe, um, you know, despite the fact that we do have a dark underbelly of, of, you know, all sorts of things, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But um, but New Zealand is my safe haven that I come home to from places like the United States and the UK, where terrorism is something that's always on people's minds. Yeah, for me, I was sitting... What was I doing? I was at home relaxing, actually. I uh, had a night the night before, and I was just chilling. And then I got a text message from a friend of mine who said, have you seen the news? There's been a a shooting in Christchurch. And at that stage, the number was eight people Mm. who were possibly uh, killed. Um, And for me, that was shocking. But eight just seemed like, okay, that's what I... Not what I expect, but... You know, when you think about mass shootings in the past in New Zealand, uh, single 
digit figures is sort of something that mm-hmm. you know is what we're talking about. But then the numbers climbed, and they climbed fast. Fast, and then it got to possibly twenty five, possibly thirty five, and then when the number got to forty nine, I was just like, I fuck, you know. Mm. I mm. was just, uh, I found it difficult to really do anything for a long time for hours I was just sort of like glued to my phone mm. looking at uh, YouTube videos of things coming out and all that sort of not that YouTube video if you know what I'm saying yes yeah we'll get to that no just watching and news updates on YouTube and news updates wherever I could just to find out what was going on and try and get a better sense of what was happening mm-hmm. um, and for the days after the, 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 the Saturday and the Sunday after it was just I just wow motivation was gone I was mm-hmm. just struggling to be motivated to do anything, you know. I had to really sort of focus to be able to have any sort of um, joy or any sort of activation in my life. Why do you think that was? I think it, it wasn't... Grief sort of... I don't think grief is the right word, but it was just sort of disbelief. Mm. You know, it was, it was a disbelief, similar thing to you. It's like, this is my safe haven, you know. We have the people, you and I are privileged that we've traveled around the world to work. And when you always come home, you feel a certain weight comes off your shoulders and you feel a certain warmth and you, you feel like this is definitely your home. New Zealand's a wonderful place. Mm. And to have something like that happen on that scale, which is, you know, you hear about these sorts of thing, things happening overseas. And even when it happens overseas, it's ridiculous, you know. But to have that happen here it was just, I just, yeah, I just couldn't fathom it. Trying, trying to nut together, with, trying not to come to any conclusions immediately. You know, mm-hmm. I'm someone who believes, I, I believe that there's two sides to every story, not that there's, no, I'm justifying anybody's actions here <laughs> by that. What I mean by that is, I'm trying to work out what were the reasons that this happened? You know, what are the results that are going to come from this? I tried just just meditating on it, just thinking about it mm-hmm. before I rushed, before I let anger settle in, before I let sadness kick in too much. So yeah, that was kind of an emotional sort of, it was like an emotional concrete where you're just sort of like covered in this, in this, in this goo and you just can't move and you want to and you want to feel something, but it's just, you just can't get it out. And that's the way I felt for a couple of days after. Yeah. I had almost the opposite um, mm. response and that feeling I, w- I was just feeling everything. The, um, the number of times that tears were welling in my eyes, um, I couldn't, I had to be, be really careful about how I was consuming the news reports and, mm. and, and then um, immediately, and perhaps this is the space that I've been in, you know, as part of my own this is this is possibly the space I've been in as part of my own journey through spending so much time in a place like the United States, which is, you know, full of implicit and explicit racism. Um, but it's almost impossible in that scenario to not think about how have I been a participant in this, in the possibility of this even happening in my country, because you don't want to, um, and then you, you don't want to excuse yourself by saying, that was just a madman, you know, that was just, the, mm. you know, that shouldn't have happened and the only reason it happened is because that one person was a madman. 
at the same time, you don't want to become so insular and self-focused that you lose sense of or that you lose sense or focus on the fact that this happened to, yes, it happened to our community, but it did happen to a very particular uh, segment of our community and that that, that community, the Muslim community, um, deserves respect and embrace and support as they deal with the situation in a very you know different way. And then I was immediately then overwhelmed by sadness and confusion and frustration at the language that was being used because I'm about words mm. and and I couldn't fathom for the first few days even though I, I you know I do think that Jacinda has um, our Prime Minister has uh, executed and conducted herself with such um, grace and eloquence um, I think that you know she's really done an amazing job uh, but I really struggled with the language of they are us mm -hmm. because my my immediate reaction to that was visceral which is just like stop making it stop dividing us stop yeah. making us they and us stop it that has to stop yeah. we are one we're one even though their intentions are good they don't realize that that's actually creating divide that's actually separating them from us more than anything well it's, it's continuing mm. it's continuing this implicit dualism yeah. that we have in new zealand and and that i think we have worldwide which is the humanity's deep uh deeply rooted in categorization as a way of understanding the world um, mm. and so we get very quickly to good and bad them and us yeah. you know and i i just I, everything within me wanted to rebel against that yeah. um and and i and part of the tragedy for me i think what i was mourning and what i was grieving is what i have long suspected to be true in our culture and have seen in places um which is that whilst we have come so far we still have so far to go mm. um and that was the part that was that was the part that was really probably the most devastating to me mm. Um, the interesting, one of the curious things for me, um, I have I have dear friends in the Muslim community, right? Which is you know, which I'm sure half of New Zealand is saying, right? Yeah. But I but I do, and um, and they and those friends were the ones that I struggled to communicate with the most, because I had to figure out or try and walk the line or figure out how to explain that I in no way wanted to appropriate their their tragedy that it, there was no way that I wanted to ap appropriate grief for what the Muslim community was experiencing or layer my own you know Pakiha guilt on top of it or you know m m in the same way that in the same way that when somebody when somebody dies it ends up being the widow that comforts everybody you know what mm, I mean like mm, mm. I didn't want to project or or, or make uh, or make it seem that my Muslim friend somehow had to take responsibility for making me feel better about the situation. Mm. Um, and that was confronting to me as well. Yeah. Um, because the very people that, the very people in my community, in my immediate community, who deserved my words and sympathy were the very people that I was just like, I have nothing to say. Mm. I just have my, I just have my emotion and my sadness. Mm. Yeah, I, um, I didn't, I've got a lot of Muslim friends as well, but the, it's never been a point of conversation. It's never been, oh, you're Muslim, I'm Christian, or, or this or that, or anything else, or Buddhist, or whatever they want to be. It, for me, um, those types of things have never really come into question. You know, I've never, even even sometimes I'm surprised now they say, oh, yeah, I've actually got a Muslim background, and I'm like, I had no idea. Cool. You know? <laughs> I, this, this is like, 
recently I've known people for years I had no idea but it's yeah. just that is part of their life and I I have no idea so I've I've never really thought of people as being different in this country you know mm. they have different cultures absolutely we've all got different cultures but it's never really been a, a, which culture is better or which culture or, or even if there's any difference between character or human or the way people are mm-hmm. you know it's ne- that's never really come into question for me so when I see things on Facebook, Facebook, oh, man. <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay, so when I see people on Facebook who I believe are very uneducated people who should not have a soapbox to stand on, they mean well. However, I think some people, especially in the first few hours, just started rabbiting some stuff on to try and get some sort of self um, something. I don't know. Anyway, I'm too angry when I'm talking about this. But anyway... One person get one person gets up and he says all white people need to look at themselves and hold themselves accountable. You all had fingers on the trigger and all this sort of thing. And I just got furious because I'm like, no, this person did not have anything to do with me, mm. or anything to do with white people or anything mm. to do with anything like that. He was doing this for himself. He was creating his own identity. He was inventing himself when he did this. When he mm. walks into those rooms and pulls those triggers, he's not representing a majority. He's not representing a minority. He's purely representing himself. Yeah, and he wants the world to see him as whatever it is that he's created. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, so I started seeing this sort of thing on Facebook, and I was just getting so irate, and I was just biting my tongue. I did not reply to them. I did actually reply to that one. I said, "I understand what you think you're trying to say, and I would appreciate it if you just um, relaxed a little, something along those lines, relaxed a little bit, and just and just reconsider what you're saying before you say it." especially right now, mm. you know, because I think there was a lot of self-righteous people just trying to throw their five cents out immediately and, and instead of just stopping and thinking. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think part, my reflection in the last few days is that part of our collective grief is that mm. I think what you're saying is really true mm. on one level, you mm. know, that this person... Part of our collective grief and horror and anger, mm. why we won't speak his name, why we why we don't want this to be broadcast or you know given any attention, you know any of that stuff. Yeah. The reason why is because it's not reflective of who we want to be. But I do think the the grain of truth that's in what what that person said, the grain of truth is that it is there in fragments of our society. Mm. And that's what we've been confronted with. And the challenge is, on an individual and personal level, you know, how do we consider? How do we consider our response? How do we consider our behaviour? The ways that we may have implicitly contributed to a collective, you know, culture, yeah. and somehow still maintain our own individual, you know, identity. I, um, a, a good friend of mine, posted something on. He's um, he's uh, New Zealand New Zealand born Indian. Um, and he posted something on Facebook, his own personal story where he talked about his experience of racism and n- never being comfortable to be in his, not being comfortable to be in his own skin, wanting to be white, wanting to be cool, not mm. wanting to be associated with being um, with being Indian and, and all of the ways in which even though, and it, yeah, it was amazing to see him share his story and it was so heartfelt, it was so eloquent, it was well-spoken and it was... Um, it was illuminating, 
because so many of his friends, so many of people, so many of the people that I have known collectively within that community, within that cluster of friends, uh, responded honestly saying we had no idea and we're so sorry if mm. anything we ever did contributed to that feeling. And so the question of where does racism come from is that, well, it comes from within us and it comes from outside of us. It's such a, you know, it's this big broad spectrum of variables. And I think that's what's so complicated about figuring out how do we respond to mm. it? Because, you know, I I grew up being conscious of, you know, what I would call, you know, I would say racism and bigotry in some of my family groups, you know. I remember being told by people much older than me that, you know, I was never allowed to bring a brown boy home. Um, mm. You know, I've heard those derogatory things um, being said my whole life by all manner of people. And the difference, I guess, is is when have I chosen to stand up and refute those things or to say, uh-uh, not here, that's mm. not appropriate. When have I, you know, rolled my eyes or, you know, kind of complicitly stood by mm. and not had the tough conversation with an uncle or a parent or, you know, somebody that, that I respect just because I'm like, oh, I don't want to have that tough conversation. Um and I think that's the piece of that's the piece of us that's been exposed. Yeah, there's been an interesting thing going around uh, again on Facebook, or certain people saying things that they are like, "I am going to expose anybody who says anything racist now, or sexist, or bigoted, or anything along those lines. I am going to chew you out in public. I am going to do this and do that and do the other thing." I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. My thought is: look, some people are brought up through nurture to believe a certain thing. Some people have had experiences that create a rage that makes them believe and think a certain way. Rather than chewing someone out and embarrassing them in public, what's the point in doing that? Mm-hmm. You'll create, you could create more anger in that person. You could create a rage which just goes beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. This could have happened to this fellow who did the things on Friday. You know what I mean? It was just something that triggered him and he went off and did it. My thought process is, and I, what I would like everyone to do is just if you hear it or you see it have a conversation with that person just have a nice little yarn say Mm -hmm. look bro listen let's go and talk about this that wasn't appropriate Mm -hmm. you know what i mean pull them aside if you can and just say let's just calm down you need to realize how you're making these people feel what is it that makes you think that work out what that is i know it's a lot of effort but it's i think it's absolutely worth it you know yeah it actually this reminds me of a conversation that I had with Richie Hardcore. I know mm. he was he yeah. was featured on both our podcasts, but um, and the conversation that we had was about um, it wasn't specifically about racism, but it was about um, it was about sex uh, sexism and um, talking about domestic violence. And that you know we we live very much in a world that's that's polarized. Partly, I think, due to social media that encourages that does not encourage it, social media encourages us to make statements, and it doesn't help us invite people into the conversation. Um, and the, so what we were talking about is, you know, it's that invitation into conversation. It's the invitation into let's not let's not stand. 25 feet apart and throw bullets yes. and missiles at each mm. other. Let's try and draw close. And and I think, you know, possibly the most hopeful way forward for us as a community is to take the responsibility on our own shoulders of being the one that actually steps closer and steps into the conversation. Yeah. Um, that's that's maybe something helpful that we can yeah. do, you know, in that in that process. And I do think we need to start addressing that 
and this is the part this is the part that breaks my heart because I've had this conversation and been having this conversation um, with friends in the US um, people of colour um, you know uh, and, and by, by colour I mean all <laughs> spectrum of colour yeah. right uh, African Americans and South Africans who have found themselves in America and Asian Americans and you know just um, and the conversation there which is about implicit racism mm. that actually um so much of the foundations of that country are based on the constitution and the declaration of independence that actually contain language that is derogatory and racist they talk yeah. about the savages they talk about the fact that um that the only people who are allowed to vote are um white male landowners you know those those intentions are actually written into the foundations of that country and so of course it remains part of their culture and something that they will consistently have to fight and what I am now so I was already passionate about it in terms of what I want to bring home or bring or or bring to light in our in our culture here in Aotearoa but now I'm even more so is I you know I want for us to do away with implicit racism let's let's be done with it you know I'm you know and and for me that that is about not assuming this is this is probably the the key thing for me it's about eliminating the assumption that for me who grew up in central ethnically diverse very respectful um public school (laughs) that that the way i see our multiculturalism our biculturalism is as a gift and I see it as a total treasure but I should not assume that everybody else in the country Mm. sees it the same way I shouldn't assume that my beliefs are the beliefs of the generations above me or below me Mm. Um, and and I think that we do have to start making some assumptions in the same way that I don't want to say okay well clearly everybody that's lived in a flat in Dunedin is you know a terrorist a terrorist waiting to happen. Um, you know, I don't want to say that, but I do want for us to start being explicitly honest with each other mm. about the fact that we are still derogatory. I lived in I lived in central Auckland in between and, and have talked about the fact that I lived in between a Tonga community and a Samoan community that were often having spats with each other. Yeah. And and so I've you know, and then and so now my question is, okay. Mm. <laughs> is there is there a thread of racism underneath that? You know, am I am I making assumptions? Do I do I judge where I want to live or where I want to hang out or people that I approach in conversation versus people that I don't? Mm. You know, where where is it within my life? Because that's where I have to start in terms of, you know, eradicating it. Mm. Yeah, having gone to a predominantly Polynesian high school, into Wesley College. And that was in the mid-90s, early to mid-90s. And that was a time where there was that strange Tongan versus Samoan versus oh, Fijians weren't, they're just too busy smiling. But there was that weird... There it is, though. There it is. <laughs> it's an implicit racial stereotype. <laughs> I wasn't stereotyping. This is... They... Anyway. They, but you know what I'm... I know what you're saying. I know right? what you mean. There yep. it is. There it is. Mm. And yet, uh, you know, our intention is... Mm. Right, and then because on top of that, you cannot deny, even though you are in fact part Samoan, yeah, um, you cannot deny. And I, I mean, and I have an ethnically diverse background too, yeah. Right, um, the reality is, is that not only do we lump these assumptions or these experiences that we have, but then we, then we, we do, and I think this is a colonial, it's a colonial attitude. <laughs> 
Mm. Uh, even though we weren't all colonists, but it's a colonial attitude of assuming that that if our intention is good, mm. that it's okay. Mm. You know, well, I didn't mean that. You you should know better, so mm. it's okay. I can say whatever I want. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Because maybe that's just not the case. Maybe just white people have travelled the world over just assuming <laughs> that whatever they think is okay is okay so long as their intention is good. Saying, so, yeah, Irish people are nice because they're always drunk or so on and so forth. It is... Um, where was I going on that thing before? No, yes, yeah, so... You're talking about your high school experience. For me, yeah, it was the hate that was getting to me. It was the It was the unnecessary, unjustifiable hate between the Samoans and the Tongans at the time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I actually think that it's very, very... I don't think it's around much anymore, but then I'm not really involved with the community very much now. But back then, it was just weird. It was so strange. And to watch them adopt, at the time, gangster, um, black American gangster culture, mm-hmm. Bloods and Crips and all this sort of bullshit, it was just so... Um, I couldn't get my head around it. You know, and I didn't even associate with with uh, that as racism at the time. I saw it more as like this weird sort of tribal conflict, and that's the way I see racism now. And more that I think about it, it's tribal. It is it, these are tribes of people basing their tribe on a physical difference, mm-hmm. and they don't understand the other one, and they don't want to understand the other one, and that's where racism comes in. If it's tribal, isn't it? If it's if it's tribal, and I, I mean this is an interesting idea that I haven't explored before, so give me some leeway here. But mm. um, if it's tribal, then isn't it about identity? Isn't it more about our identity than it is about the other's identity? Because if you're dealing with, because so, let me follow up my logic here. Because mm. if it is tribal, then I think you know the the, the really big, dirty, dark underbelly. Mm. Um, that we need to talk about in New Zealand society is not necessarily racism mm. as much as it is classism. Because mm. there's a, if you, because it wouldn't be very hard to extrapolate out and go, okay, well, you know, if um, if if a Tongan, if the, if the Tongan community and the Samoan community are kind of fighting at odds for, with each other and they're having this kind of tribal, you know, tete-a-tete, why is that? It's because there's oppression. Well, why is there oppression? It's because there's classism. I agree. I see you where know? you're coming from. Yep. That, and so that's where I'm like, if, the, if, if, you know, is that a question of, is that a question of identity? Is it a question mm. of, you know, pride? Like, yeah. you know, being, being proud to be who we are, but also feeling safe to be who we are. Yeah. You know? And I think, I mean, that great fear... Yes. is that great fear, I think, is is permeating the world now. Yeah, I think... So, the disenfranchised or the mm-hmm. less fortunate, mm-hmm. they're, looking, they're, trying, they're looking for identity. They're trying to create their own identity. So, if you're in a lower class or you're uneducated, then you're easy prey for somebody or a, or a certain... Um, a certain type of people who can come along and manipulate you into believing something. I think, I think when you look at things like white nationalism, the people that are doing this stuff, like this mm. fellow the other day, he was of a lower socioeconomic group. He was looking for identity. He found something. It. He agreed. He agreed with it. It stimulated his anger. It gave him a purpose. And no matter how 
wrong it was, he was just convinced that this was his mission. That was what he wanted to do. So the classist thing, I totally, I actually, I totally agree with what you're saying there. Well, because if you look at, I mean, and despite what we might see in American politics, mm. um, you know, where certainly there's the murmuring of conversation about about where certain, you know, very wealthy supporters of various parties mm. would align on the lines of white nationalism or white supremacy. Um, you know, the reality of what we see in, for example, the um, the situation in Charlottesville, mm. what you see is primarily a lower socioeconomic group of people. And so, and, and what they're, what they're, they're instigated and motivated by fear, fear that they will lose position or privilege, fear yeah. that they will, I mean, and that's, if we go, you know, if we talk about the um, because it's almost impossible to, we can't not talk about immigration oh. in this scenario. So when we talk about immigration and maybe, and it's probably still easier for me to talk about immigration in an example that's far away <laughs> than mm. to talk about it here. Um, but the, you know, the reality is, is that we have, on one hand, we have an economy that is screaming out for skilled migrants. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have amazingly talented people of other cultures and ethnic backgrounds who are qualified doctors and accountants and lawyers who end up working as, you know, taxi drivers. And and so, you know, this is, for me, it does come back to this implicit, there is this implicit racism, this implicit classism, which is, okay, so we, we open our doors and welcome people, whether they're refugees, whether they're, they're coming in through traditional immigration channels, and yet we don't make it possible for them to live and be themselves fully alive, fully, mm. you know, mm. their fully embraced capacity, you know, and see, so we say, oh, well, I mean, your qualification from Pakistan mm. doesn't work here, or your qualification yeah. from Iran doesn't work here, or, yeah. you know, and I'm like, that's what I want to get to the, like, I, that's, that's what I want to dismantle. I'm like, if we really want to welcome people, mm. let's throw out the welcome mat and let's actually make it possible for people to come here easily and find their ways into the meaningful careers and status and opportunity that they had previously. Yeah. Right. Cause everything yeah. else is just, you know, why would you? Because you then can, you then if you can't somehow invite people into the same level of opportunity that their hard-fought-for education mm. has brought them to anywhere else, then you do push them into low, into lower-paid jobs. You push them into, you know, less opportunity to establish independence. And I think yeah. it just feeds the machine then of yeah. everything else. And that's kind of the, you know, that, that root of white nationalism that then kind of kicks over as it's like, well, we don't want that. We don't want we don't want people to be on equal footing with us. We don't want to lose our mm. footprint. We don't want to lose what we have, and all of a sudden, you know. Yeah, and that's what was happening in Europe. So Europe had this similar situation with the refugees from Syria, refugees from Africa coming over, mm -hmm. and it started off as a as a colour issue, but then the real issue was actually these people. You've got millions of refugees coming into Europe. You got Europeans worried more about. Uh, economical stability. Mm -hmm. They're worried about housing. They're worried about the jobs going to get taken away. They're worried about all those sorts of things. And then you get these white nationalists coming in, throwing in the colour issue, and then that gives an easy, digestible reason to hate these oh, people. Oh, it's a soundbite. Yeah, it's a soundbite. And, and it's a soundbite that we've heard before because it's the same soundbite that drove anti-Semitism in Germany yeah. in the 1930s. Yeah, like, exactly. That was the threat, yeah. you know? Somehow the Jewish people are going to be more economically prosperous than you are. And so yeah. we should get rid of them all. 
Yeah. Mm. What do you do? Well, we, I just think you have to acknowledge it. Yeah. Like you have to, for starters, you have to acknowledge it and be honest about the fact that those that those things exist. And I do, I remember growing up when I was a teenager and hearing about neo-Nazi activity yeah. in Christchurch. Yes. And I and I and I don't want to condemn you know a city, but mm. because as far because I've seen swastikas graffitied mm. in all sorts of places up and down our country. But but I think there's for me there's this motivation to say that we we can't ignore that anymore. Mm. We can't ignore it and say, oh look, it's probably not a big deal. It's probably just some stupid kids, you know. It's some poor ideology, but they'll grow out of it, right? Because yeah. clearly we can't. Because mm. I don't know how much difference there is between. I know that we've made a big deal about the fact that this person was Australian. You know, and yeah. in many respects, you know, I did. And look, and got to be careful here about how we then class ourselves as New Zealanders versus Australians. But, you know, I did with a sigh of relief just go, at least it's not a Kiwi, you know? Yeah. Like, because yeah. I can't imagine. It was, I cannot imagine how I would have possibly coped with the idea that that actually that 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 possibility grew up here yeah um but the reality is it's it's possible it's absolutely possible because there's not that much difference between mm. australia and new zealand in so many respects exactly i as soon as i found out he was australian the first thing that went through my head was a lot of people are going to be relieved that he's australian but i i i i didn't for some reason because I, I i didn't see him but i heard about it and it's just New Zealand's so multicultural now, and there are so mm -hmm. many first-generation New Zealanders, second-generation New Zealanders. It didn't make any difference to me what country he was born in. I didn't give a shit, you yeah. know what I mean? Because he just, he did this thing mm. in my country. I don't care if it was Australian or some dude from Timaru. It was just like, look, this has happened. We need to focus on this. We need to look at our emotional uh, situation now and just comfort each other and talk to each other. But yeah, it was it was interesting because I did think that I, I thought to myself, man, people are going to be relieved that he's Australian, and that's really stupid. It's yeah, it really is really weird. No, it, and and honestly, I I know, but mm. but it was still my gut reaction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I but should we talk that about Facebook? We can talk about Facebook, but actually, no, we can segue into that because I'm just about to mention Egg Boy. Egg boy. So one shining light in this disgustingly horrible situation. There was an Australian... Um, Will Connolly is his name. Will Connolly. 17 years old. Was oh, that the boy? No, but what was the politician's name? Oh, I don't want to Anning? mention his name Anning? either. Fraser Anning. It's Fraser Anning. So this politician over in Australia says some ridiculously racist remarks hours after um, the incident occurred, saying that, effectively saying, it's the Muslim's fault for being here and mm -hmm. inciting the violence that this fellow did. And um, wow was all I had to say. I don't use the word wow often because I think it's silly, but I was just like, I couldn't think of anything else to say except wow, you're a dick. Anyway, hours after he says this, the young Australian boy walks up to him in public mm -hmm. and uh, eggs him. Yeah. And then he turns around, throws the politician turns around, throws a couple of punches, he gets wrestled to the floor and now that boy is a hero. 
He is a hero. <laughs> what I love about the story is that, um, and and so I'm going to tell you what I love about the story. Yeah. Then I'm going to tell you how this how I'm conflicted about the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, uh, yes, but, I agree. Yep. But uh, what I love about the story is that um, is that a 17 year old was brave enough to you know to make a stand to just yeah. go no 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 mate you're an egg and I'm gonna um and it wasn't overly violent you know smashing an egg on someone's head it's maybe not you know good behavior mm. but it's not it's not overly violent he didn't you know um so there you go there I go making excuses um and I thought it was horrific that he got wrestled to the ground by three fully grown men who just looked rabid in yeah. my opinion um but the fundraiser that was started <laughs> with the intention of, of raising money so that he can buy more eggs, I just thought was fantastic. Mm. Even more impressive, the fact that he's turned around and every penny that's been donated, mm. he's donating actually to the victims of the yep. massacre. Um, so I just, I'm really excited that there is, you know, on one hand, we have this, you know, we have one Australian who's done something really, truly awful. Mm. And we have another Australian who's actually standing up against... Yeah. You know, and I think, okay, that's that's hopeful for me. There's a redemptive scenario. The challenge in that for me is mm. that um is is that I don't know that he'd <laughs> as much as I love Egg Boy and I love the poster, um and I shared with some friends of mine who work in youth ministry, I was just like, These are the kind of young people that we need to be raising. <laughs> um <laughs> Are they? <laughs> are they really? Well, people who are prepared to take a stand. Maybe you I know, agree people with that. people who yes. who are prepared to say, "Hey, no, 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 that's not okay. You need to right because it goes back mm -hmm. to what we were talking about before. People who are prepared to lean into the conversation, to walk into the conversation. Mm. He perhaps just needed to use his words a little bit more than he used his eggs. But I don't know. I think I think that was a very good moment because I just think we all needed a little bit of relief. We needed from what a was laugh. Happening. We yeah. needed a laugh, and I can't remember if I laughed, but I was just like, kind of like, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I was like, totally. Yeah. And we needed that at that yeah. particular point in time. Yeah. I, I also don't uh, agree totally with what that happened, which brings me to Facebook, actually, because I was seeing a lot of people just going out there and just throwing their words around pretty heavily. Uh, just one-liners and shit like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And on, on Twitter, Trump comes out and he says, he actually did say something quite nice, even though I don't think he truly believed it. Yeah, but he followed said, up by something very stupid. Yeah, but let's, but the, the good thing, but the good thing that he said was, my condolences go to New Zealanders and the victims of Christchurch, mm -hmm. so on and so forth, something along like that. One of the replies to that from a very prominent New Zealand actress was, fuck off, you cunt, pretty right. much. And, I, and I'm like, come on, don't do that. Mm. You know, you're, you're not going to achieve anything by doing that. Sure, you don't agree with his politics, don't agree with him, don't agree with him at all. Yeah. But he said something that was actually constructive, doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you believed it or not. There's no need to throw get up on a soapbox and throw your words at him like that for all of us to see because you're just trying to, I believe, trying to promote yourself maybe, trying to show how like how affected you are by, by this. Just mm -hmm. take a moment. There's no need to do that. Well, it comes back to can we use social media constructively in these moments mm -hmm. and that is not an appropriate place to direct anger. No. Now, now, I can understand very much um, my, uh, as I mentioned, my my friends from the US who are here visiting, yeah. um, you know, one of whom works with law enforcement, you know, apologised for the export of white nationalism, you know, kind of saw that there's a place 
at least felt the responsibility, whether it's true or not, mm. felt that sense of responsibility of, yeah, there is a there is a storm of stuff happening that absolutely does have a kind of a foundational cornerstone in the United States um, that they felt that enough to say, gosh, we're just really sorry that this has happened here and that it's made it to this part of the world. Yeah. <clears throat> um, however... So maybe there's so maybe you know there's a loosely tied construct back, but that's not the place. I agree with you one hundred percent. That is not the place to no. throw anger. That's no. not the place. That's not that's not where to direct it because no. it's not helpful and it doesn't open up a door and it just you know it makes it about what's it, happening out there as opposed no. to what we need to do as a community to heal and to be better and to you know improve. It just creates more anger. It creates something for more people to get behind and go, yeah, I agree with you but they're fist pumping it. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like, no, we should not be doing that right now. Or we shouldn't be doing that ever, I think, unless it's on a sports game or something. But we shouldn't be celebrating anger in mm -hmm. any sense. We should be being more constructive with our time, being more educated with our responses rather than... Because getting angry is what these people want. Creating division is what these people want because they can create a division and then the side that they agree with, the side that they're on, they can build up more and you're just going to create. Mm -hmm. you, you, we're never going to heal those wounds. Mm -hmm. And something that's cool that's been going on since all this happened is New Zealand as a whole has been coming together very constructively, you know? Ah, uh, phenomenal. I'm, I'm just amazed. I mean, straight away... Jacinda gets up. I didn't vote for her. I'm going to say that right now. I don't know if I will ever vote for her, and that's not because of her. I don't. Anyway, pol politically, I was not on Jacinda's side in the last election. However, well, you got we to can depersonalize it. We can we say can. you're not. You know, you weren't a Labour supporter. I wasn't a Labour supporter. There we go. But you got to give credit where credit's due. I am utterly impressed with her. She has been bossing this whole situation. You yeah. know, with sincerity and just wow. I just. Yeah, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I, you know, as I said before, I, I politically don't, ag I didn't agree with her, but I, my thoughts have changed. Yeah. She See, here's the remarkable. tears coming again. I oh, know. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean, yeah. if you imagine what it, I, I cannot fathom. I cannot fathom how, um, how much it will take for her to personally away from the view of cameras with her family, um, you know, process and recover from, mm. you know, just that emotional load that she is carrying. I I remember um, I remember um, Michelle and Barack Obama after the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, which I think is probably um, in terms of in terms of emotional impact, in terms of my own personal response, mm. is probably the only other kind of world event that you know, hits me and that that has hit me in the same sort of a space. Um, partly because of the innocence, partly because of the expectation that in a school or a mosque or a church or a playground, mm. people should be safe. Um, but the um, yeah, I, I cannot I cannot imagine what it, how how it will be to recover and process. But she has carried herself so well, and I think mm. carried us, you know, and given and given us. I have not seen a single person pointing fingers at, at her to say, oh, she should she should have been doing this or she got that wrong or she whatever. And I thought, um, you know, good. <laughs> and that's one of the things I've liked about the way New Zealand has responded. If this was America, no matter who the president's going to be, half of the country's going to be pointing fingers, looking, waiting, mm -hmm. anything. 
and mm. jumping on it. But in New Zealand, you saw her and members of the National Party and everyone just standing together in a moment where it's like, this is not the time for any sort of political divide. Mm -hmm. This is the time we've got to get together and sort this out. Yeah. And, oh, it was and I think that that has been... I mean, for all of for everything I said about classism before, <laughs> let me turn that around to say, you know, it has been absolutely that has been an absolutely unified response in just about every place that I've seen. You know that yeah. that New Zealand has been so together. New Zealand has been. Um, uh, I have many friends who are you know leaders and ministers of churches up and down the country who um, I saw their invitation and expression of welcome to invite you know, their Muslim neighbours into using their buildings, into using their sanctuaries to, um, you know, so that so that any kind of sense of, of space to grieve or to mourn or to continue um, in the foundational uh, rituals of their beliefs, you know, could continue. And I think, well, that's that's really encouraging to me because that's kind of like, yeah, that's 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 beautiful. But that, um, the outpouring of flowers, the, the artwork that has emerged, the messages, the money, the money, I what, mean, like four million. They're up to. No, the total number is up to close to ten million now, <sighs> from all of that the various. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that didn't happen in the earthquake, you know, and all no. of that is outside of and on top of the fact that we actually have we actually have a government provided assistance that will cover yeah. funeral costs and hospital costs and all of those things yeah. well into the future. I love the fact that we are having the conversation about granting permanent residency to um, people who were involved in the massacre that were actually yeah. here on temporary work visas. Yeah. Um, I uh, find myself continually on the verge of tears every time I see a group of students singing or uh, going to pray at a mosque or the hakas that we have seen from around the world. For, you mm. know, from every from every little place that there's a pocket of Kiwis, um, these incredible remembrance services and and um, and the paying of respects and the giving of honour in such a uniquely Kiwi way. Mm, mm. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll cry at a good hacker any day of the week. Oh, but, yeah, me too. But these were, you know. That's where those hackers are coming from. Like when I was seeing the gangs doing it, mm -hmm. you know, like normally, obviously, we don't. <sighs> obviously, there are issues with gangs in our country, but when you see them coming together in a moment of solidarity and doing that sort of thing, you realize that this is affecting everybody and this is bringing everybody together. Well, I think, you know, it's hard to deny that, that many of our many many of our gangs I like you know I'll call them social organizations um, but they are social organizations mm. that actually display exemplary leadership mm. um, and you know and maybe sometimes the activities of those organizations are not necessarily yeah. um, always beneficial but but their values often are founded in brother and sisterhood and yep. family and whanau, um and in honor and yeah. I think that's the that's what we see on display. And I remember mm. seeing it after the after the earthquakes and after you know um, Pike River and a number of those different circumstances where actually you know sometimes those social organisations are leading the response. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of compassion and empathy, and um, yeah. you know I think the offer to stand watch outside the mosques as Friday prayers roll around, you know, is something that um, you know that speaks to to who we are. There's a lot to be said for community, and there's a lot to be said for clubs and organisations that bring people together to actually discuss and learn and do things with each other, because we live in a society at the moment which is very insular. Mm. We live in a society where we don't talk to our neighbours, we live in a society where it's easier just to sit on our phones and text away to people rather than having a meaningful conversation, and I think that's 
if we can sort that stuff out, it, if we can sort that sort of thing out and just bring together people in reality and talk reality instead of throwing and spitting and throwing each other behind a keyboard, mm. you know. And, and as an odd example, you're right, the gangs do have a community that brings them together. Granted, we don't agree with a, with a lot of things they do in some of their politics, but mm. they do do something right, and that is a small part that we can chip off and actually learn from. Yeah. I, do, I think that there is an opportunity, and I don't want to... I mean, I'm a sucker for the big movie ending, you know, yeah. the 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 rise of the hero, the um, you know, the changing of the world type scenario. But I do think there's an opportunity here um, for New Zealand. Already, I feel like we're already responding differently. We have responded differently in so many circumstances. Mm. If you consider that, you know, that that. Uh, we were the first country in the world to grant women the vote. You know, um, the, there are so many circumstances, the nuclear-free stance that we've taken. The, um, you know, I would even argue, even though I don't think we've got it right and I don't think that, we've that we're done, I think there's so much further to go, but, but I would argue that the work that we have done in, um, in race relations around treaty repa um, reparations and settling, um, settling treaty claims and trying to at least find a positive way to move forward you know i think we've at least through recent history shown that we can be a country of people that try to mm. that we try to do it better we try and learn from our mistakes we try and you know figure our way forward and so my hope is that our response to this will be another one of those circumstances and i do um I mean, we've already disappeared. This is the, uh, a friend of mine um, sent me a message from from Oregon a couple of days ago and said, you know, New Zealand's disappeared off the newsreel here. You know, it's already done. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, and how, and and in some respects, I think, well, you know, that's what a shame. And in other respects, I think, okay, that's that's fine. We'll get on with the business of grieving and healing. Mm. Um, we'll get on with the business of dealing with um, with the perpetrator of the crime. Um, but my hope is that in years to come, people can look back on this and say, well, you know, New Zealand really did, um, you know, whatever shit we had left to sort out, we sorted it out at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, we dealt with we dealt with the, the pieces of racism that we hadn't wanted to deal with. We dealt with the classism that we hadn't quite acknowledged. We got rid of, you know, the right wing, <laughs> the uh, the the uber rich right wing people from our opinion columns, you know, mm. um, or we at least held ourselves to a higher standard of what we considered um, newsworthy and printable. Mm -hmm. That's my hope. Yeah, I think we get rid of some of the overly opinionated far left wing people as well. Just quietly, but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I think that that's true. But here's the but the reality is is that um, pendulum swings are required to affect cultural change. Yes. Um, this is the part that I think, as much as I'm proud of the fact that we as a country are relatively centrist in our politics, yes. it's very difficult to affect change from the middle. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah, no, true. You I know, if yep. you, the, that's, why, that's why the rudder's at the back of the ship, right? It's, you, have to, you have to move from yep. one, one piece to the yep. other um, to create that momentum. And so, you know, I'm prepared to go... If, and I'm not 100% convinced, I will tell you this honestly, I am not prepared to um, make a carte blanche statement or categorisation that racism belongs on the side of the right. Um, 
you know, because I don't believe that that's true. I think that there's just as much racism over in the socialist side of things as well. Yeah. Um, I don't think that racism is driven by, um, I don't think that racism is driven by money as much as classism is. No. So I'd give you an argument for classism yeah. over the way of the capitalist. Um, but effectively, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't mind if we have to, if, if being a little bit too far to the right or the left of racism and classism um, means that we have to go a little bit further to the other side and maybe we do have to get a little bit more politically correct so that we actually hold ourselves to a higher standard and come back to a middle that is elevated from where we've been, then I'm okay with that. Yeah, the danger with getting too politically correct, though, and this is something that I I think has been happening in the States, is that you start to try to control people too much. You're trying to control people's behavior too much and you're going to get kicked back on that. It's got to be, it has to be internal. So, 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 the position that we choose has to be based out of our internal action Mm. and not about external. So, I'm actually far less interested in controlling or determining how you speak and behave. You know, we can sit here and have a good old banter backwards and forwards. We're really going pretty easy on each other today. Um, But (laughs) I think we're all just a bit sensitive. Um, But we can have a good banter and I can be be comfortable with hearing you out and then engaging you in what you think from my view on it. And that's where we've got to get to, right? So the Mm. political correctness, which is trying to monitor the tone of the whole conversation, that's never going to help us, right? Because that's just more, this is right, this is wrong. Mm. Um, So so again, it comes back to that whole thing of, I need to personally take responsibility for actually being more, um, maybe it's not politically correct, maybe that's not the right phrase, maybe the personal responsibility I need to take is I'm going to be explicit Mm. uh, in the fact that I believe that we are one in the fact that I believe all people are equal, in mm. the fact that I'm interested to learn about other cultures and other people. Mm. Um, we should be encouraging fascination in other cultures, not totally not pulling it apart. Why is it that we're okay to visit other parts of the world when we go on holiday? Mm. And yet, as a nation, mm. so much of the world is already here. Mm. So many of those cultures are already here. I have loved, when I finally got to the point of being able to say something, um, you know, to my, to, to one of my closest, um, Muslim friends. He's actually, um, actually Pakiha who converted to Islam. When I finally kind of came up with the words, you know, what I had to say was, I want to thank you and express my care, um, and my appreciation of the, of the Islam faith that you have shown me you know, and to, and for the things that I've been invited into, I've been invited into, you know, the breaking of the Ramadan feast. I've, I've had the opportunity to attend prayers, to attend a wedding, you know, to, to be part of those rituals. And so I've got to see the beauty of a culture and to learn to understand it, um, through real people, you know, as opposed to ideology. Mm. Uh, And that was what, that was what I ended up saying because that was really the only, (laughs) that was the most genuine thing, you know, that I could say. Um, and I think, you know, the more that we can encourage people to actually realise that that the world is here mm. and it's ours for exploration and, you know... The, world, the world's on the other side of the fence of your house sometimes, you know, and we wouldn't know because we're not even, you know, saying yeah. hello. But you're right. There was... Uh, I was driving down Onyway Road yesterday and I was a bit shocked. I turned the corner and there were two cops packing some serious heat just standing on the side of the road. And I was like, what the, what, why? I wanted to get my phone out, but I was driving, but I, was, I just wanted to take a photo. Um, turns out there's a mosque. Yeah. On it. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Like, I did not know that existed and they were just standing guard. Um, but yeah, that, 
I, th- I thought it was for the school actually down the road. I thought, oh, they're just protecting in case something happens at a school. But no, there's a mosque there. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. There's, it's, it's all around us. You know what I mean? You just have to walk from one end of Queen Street to the other end of Queen Street and you've passed about 200 different nationalities or cultures or anything or mm-hmm. languages, you know. Um, I have, this is true, I've, wa- I've walked from Upper Queen Street to Lower Queen Street a distance of, let's say, 800 metres and I haven't heard a single word of English and yeah. the f- streets have been crowded and I love it. I think it's cool. I think it's really, really, really cool. And I just, I'm, I'm fascinated. I have a curiosity about these things. I've, I don't, yeah. Maybe it's, I'm fortunate enough to have, like yourself, we've got a um, multicultural eth- ethnicity built mm. into our bloodlines. Where it's just like, I'm just more fascinated and curious. I want to know your blood. I want to know how this works. Nothing to do with class or anything along those lines. Um, and yeah, I would just love it if we just all thought along those lines and just viewed each other with a curiosity rather than, a, rather than some sort of, I don't know, threat. Uh, I <laughs> I have used this quote mm. before, but it is one of it's one of my favourites. It is in fact one of um, uh, and seeing as seeing as the motivation for this attack was religious, mm. um, I feel really comfortable using it. It was Albert Einstein who said, "Never lose a holy curiosity." Um, his yeah. belief that curiosity is in fact holy. It's a sacred activity. It's a sacred practice. Um, I think curiosity can save the world. You know, yeah. if we actually just were prepared to ask each other, ah, oh, tell me more about that, yeah. instead of being so quick to say, hey, this is what I think about it. Yeah. Um, tough work for people like you and I, so opinionated about so many things. <laughs> it's neat, though, when, you, when you're curious about things and you get involved with it. Like mm-hmm. when you travel, I've been fortunate enough to uh, go to Africa a couple of times and India a couple of times, and I can just stand there and watch and that would be enough for me. I think this is fascinating. But no, I want to get involved. You want to you um, put the... I was going to call them lays, but that's a specific... You know, they have their version of the lay, which goes around the neck. And yeah. you, 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 you come and you break bread and you, you eat their ways. You eat the traditional way that they eat. You eat mm-hmm. the foods that they eat and all that sort of stuff. Man, it's so enriching, you know? And you just... Oh, people need to experience that more. And... You're absolutely right in the fact that you don't need to travel overseas to experience that and everybody should be able to just go up to a, a mosque or, or get to know your uh, ethnically different neighbours mm-hmm. and get involved with, you know, breaking their bread and eating mm-hmm. their food and you should be returning that favour. Yeah. You know what I mean? And having open, warm discussions about politics and about culture and about the way you suit to do things and see things. Yeah, at the risk of at the risk of repeating myself, you know, I, but I do find, I find that these themes just come back and come back mm. and come back, you know, and so they become the principles that I'm trying to live to, which is, you know, leaning into conversation and inviting people into conversation. Um, and the, the second is this, you know, I love what you talk about in terms of, um, uh, you know, sitting down and breaking bread and, and sharing a meal. Um, and more and more, and I say this a lot when it comes to talking with men about how to engage with women and and understanding um, understanding uh, sexism or dismantling yeah. that, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, the thing that I say is stop worrying about trying to invite more women to the boardroom table. Like yeah. just just ask for an invitation to our table. Because we're actually already we're already over here having meetings and conversations, and so yeah. you know why does it have to be about us joining your table? 
just ask mm. for an invitation to ours. And, and, and that for me, I think, is motivating as well, right? To go, okay, yeah, actually, maybe it's not about us asking our ethnically diverse neighbours around to our place for dinner mm. and expecting that they should be able to dive into a Kiwi barbecue or, mm. you know, a traditional roast lamb. But mm. actually, maybe it's about asking, hey, can I come for dinner? And, you know... Yeah. What can I what can I bring to contribute to to your world as opposed yeah. to this assumption that that because we were because we've been here longer mm-hmm. certainly not first but because <laughs> we've been here longer you know yeah. that perhaps our way is the right way or that our way takes precedence yeah. um, because we are all immigrants here you know and yeah. that is a that is a story the world over apart from maybe two or three places in the world <laughs> and those places are hotly fought over and contested. <laughs> Yes, they are. <laughs> Going forward, there's a lot of talk about what should happen to said person. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Duncan Gardner said something this morning, which I, I hotly disagree with. He wants, he believes that the trial and all that should be televised. We should all see what happens. Da 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 da. I think the exact opposite. I want that man to walk into a courtroom with a judge, two unfortunate lawyers, and a jury, and that's it. The demoralization he would feel by walking into a room with no no one to play to, no one to act up to, mm-hmm. would be the beginning of the end for him, mentally, emotionally, and I think he would be on his way to the uh, the sentence which I think he deserves, which is almost complete ignoring of him for the rest of his life. Yeah, I, I, look, I'll I'll be honest. I'm really fascinated to understand. I will be really fascinated to understand any um, any of the psychological tests or reports mm. that are made public. Um, you know, the I'm curious as to the level or the degree of narcissism um, that that might be um, threaded into his behaviour. Um, I don't know how I feel about it being televised. Um, I definitely agree with you when it comes to the attention. I'm glad that he's not getting any newspaper coverage, uh, like yeah. in terms of that he that he doesn't have the opportunity to to see any of this. Um, and and I agree. I thought Jerry Brownlee actually said it really well. Um, you know where he suggested that that um, that that a life sentence without parole for every life that was taken, um, and that sentence to be spent in absolute isolation. Um, with the exception of being played the call to prayer, you know, five times a day. Um, so good. You know, which we can. <laughs> it really was. It really was pretty good. I was like, oh, that was nice. That was that was nicely said, Mr. Brownlee. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I don't. I I think isolation absolutely. Um, I don't know how I feel about deportation. There's part of me that wants him to, you know, not be here. But the minute that we deport him, um, you know, even if we convict him here, the minute that he's, you know, um, he won't. Yeah, deportation would either have to happen prior to prior to him actually being taken yeah. to trial here, or he would have to serve a sentence. Um, you know, I do think that this raises a number of questions about um, the structures that we have in our sentencing <laughs> mm. to even deal with a situation like this. Mm. Um, but yeah, I I I don't know. I don't know what I think about it being televised. I feel I feel a little bit uncomfortable about that. But then I also. You know, I part, partly I would want to ask the victims' families and the Muslim community, mm. um, you know, how they how they feel and what they 
And I'm sure that there's a diversity of opinion around that. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that for right now that they're probably not even thinking about it. No. You know? No. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, and also where to from here, I think outside of what happens with that, you know, um, I think... I think the I think fundamentally I hope that the way that New Zealanders engage with but not just New Zealanders at an individual level but the way that New Zealand businesses engage with um, Facebook and uh, saw something YouTube. about that this morning. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, because I think um, I think that they are um, Louise Wallace actually spoke this uh, she spoke so eloquently. I'm I I miss her journalism actually. I think she was a great journalist and. Yeah. Um, and she, she said it really well. I will do injustice to her words. Um, but she essentially spoke about the fact that, that, they, that, that those publishers of content, that yes, they're platforms, but they are in fact publishers of content. Mm. The fact that content is published on those platforms um, means that they have an inherent responsibility in what, those, in what the distribution of that content is. And I do think that it will change our relationship with those um, those uh, organisations and global businesses um, until there can be some sort of guarantee. I think that they should shut live streaming streaming down. I totally agree. Um, I think that they need to. Um, yeah. I've seen a number of a number of um, hideous pieces of content showing stills from the video. Um, you know, showing his face, showing, and I've reported them all. And the reports have come back from Facebook. This doesn't actually violate our standards. And I said, and you know, and that for me is really conflict. It's very infuriating yeah. mm. um, because I don't think that I don't think that his face or his words, and nor should any of those acts of violence be captured in any way, yeah. whether it's purporting to be a news report or a news video. Absolutely not, and particularly when it's then a news video that's actually been created by um, a website that's already renowned for um, trying to instill anger or hate mongering or mm. that kind of um, that kind of racial hate speech. So I've been I've reported a lot of them and blocked a lot of them. Yeah. Um, the other piece that I think it's really um, illuminated for me with Facebook is simply how many people, and I think it is generational. Um, but how many people are still buying into um, really poor sources of information um, and talking about... uh, because here's and and so one of the pieces in particular. So there has there was also um, there was also a really um, awful. Um, there were 120 Christians who were killed um, by. Mm. Yeah, it was you know, but the the whole and so a lot of people were um, were republishing this article, which um, was in Breibart, which is a terrible, generally yeah, speaking, it. is a pretty terrible source yeah. of information. If it comes from Breibart or Infowars, yeah. um, <laughs> then then really you should not be paying attention to it mm. without a pretty big grain of salt, yeah. um, or at least some counter-research. Um, but the number of people who were publishing it and then saying things like, oh, isn't it strange that this isn't getting any publicity? Isn't it strange that this... And the, and, and the, the reality is, is that it's very difficult to convince people in the world of social media. But actually what, what I would want to say is, actually, no, it's really not, because that, that particular incident is not an isolated incident of terror. That is a resource war that has been going on yeah. for centuries right. and is continuing to go on. And actually, if you go back into... If you go back six weeks ago, it was the Christians that were <laughs> that were murdering the, mm. the Muslims. So it's it, it, it's a back and forth that's been going on for a long time. It's got nothing to do with racial lines. It's got nothing oh. to do with ethnic, ethnicity or faith. It has everything to do with farmers fighting for land. 
Yeah. Um, and obviously illustrates a much larger problem. What I've been more disturbed by... Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what I've been more disturbed by is um, is how um, how little attention has been given to the absolute horror of a natural disaster that's happened in um, Mozambique and yeah. Malawi. <laughs> yeah, I saw um, that. That um. is because I because I know that we are in grieving and I know that we are in mourning as a country, but I don't want for us to stop being who we are as people who are genuinely concerned and mm. and compassionate for the rest of the world yeah so i think that that's you know my fear is that i do not want us i do not want this to to allow us to become introspective yeah that article that, you, that article you're talking about about the christians being killed it was a very i had a similar sort of thought actually along the lines of this is an this is a completely different reason this is they say land wars and whatnot mm -hmm. and they're using it they're using religion as an excuse to get in there and do mm -hmm. what they're doing whereas what happened in christchurch was just one man's hate yeah. against people of different color different religion being pe doing their thing peacefully mm. you know what i mean there was there's absolutely no excuse for what that guy did except for his own you know as said his own purposes yeah and what he thought was going on inside his head it was just yeah but we can't deny the fact that that those thoughts were fed and fueled mm -hmm. by external sources. Yes, you know, absolutely. Um, the question I have is, you know, if we're going to ignore him and not use his name and um, and just isolate ourselves and not give him the satisfaction of yeah. being on the receiving end of our anger or outrage or our demands for justice, et cetera, et cetera, wouldn't it be great if we can do the same thing with Trump? <laughs> <laughs> if I always thought to myself, if Trump ever went to a a, 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 a rally or something like that, because he's always using cameras of being fake mm -hmm. media and all that sort of, I would love him, love it, if he just rocked up to a rally and there were no cameras. Yeah. None. Maybe a Fox News one, because you expect that, but no other cameras. Where's he going to go? Mm -hmm. What's he going to do? Start ignoring him. Well, I'm. you know, this is, mm. I mean, in some ways I jest, mm. but in other ways, you know, it's it's not hard it's not hard to draw, and whilst it's not necessarily, you know, uh, data science in the strictest sense, it's not hard to draw some lines yeah. um, based on what what the perpetrator wrote in his manifesto, that he has clearly been influenced by the thoughts and the communication and the attitudes yeah. that have been, uh, you yeah. know, demonstrated from the President of the United States. Um, and so he was very clear about that. And, and I do think, you know, that if we're talking about these principles of we just won't tolerate, mm. we just won't tolerate racism, we just won't tolerate uh, anti-immigration, we just won't tolerate, you know, a hatred of any one person over another, mm. then I'm like, okay, let's just apply that rule in a blanket fashion and maybe it will all be okay. Yeah. I would love them. Back to the live streaming thing, I, I just think, they should just get rid of it completely, as you said. I don't. No one should have live streaming. I don't want to see someone live streaming their life. Who cares? But I do think there should be situations for professionals mm -hmm. and for uh, registered so and sos that they can do that sort of thing for you know for a channel purposes or whatnot. But I, I think that should absolutely be taken away from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There's no need. There's absolutely no need for it. We see too much of people anyway. I've seen enough. I've seen <laughs> enough of the world. Oh my word! How way, it, way too much. How how will it change you? How has it changed you? 
How has it changed me? Oh, that's a good question. It certainly made me more mindful of some of the things that I say to a point without without editing myself too much in normal life. It's made me... I've always been sort of somebody who thinks about things deeply. I, I, I like to be the last person to speak. I listen to everybody else's opinions and then try and formulate it and try and rationalize everything. That's the sort of person I've always been. Sometimes, though, Uncle Daryl just comes out and says it. <laughs> and... Uh, and, uh, and and it can be said out of context or it can be said... I, I don't always say things right. No one ever does. People always say things wrong from time to time, but it has made me a I little mean, I'm bit pr- more... I mean, I'm pretty good most of the time. I'd give myself like a, a 95, 95 out of 100. Yeah. yeah, no, I give you that. But I certainly have been a bit more stoic or whatever about things recently, just sort of, you know, thinking a bit more and Facebook... I mean, social media is a good example. You know, I haven't leapt on anything. Mm. there's been a couple of things where I've had to voice something because it's like that's ridiculous but thinking about it before saying it and and in the grand scheme of things I just want to try and um, understand more locally as you said like I want to understand more of our uh, uh, mixed cultures in a local sense rather than have, thinking I've got to go overseas and do all this sort of stuff I still want to go overseas and see things sure mm-hmm. but you know, there's from your neighbours to, you know, other people's mosques or, or temples or whatever you want to call them. Can I make it even simpler? Go. Like the the Korean or Vietnamese or Thai family that run your local dairy, the mm. people who own or run your local gas station. Yeah. Engage in conversation. Stereotyping don't just, a bit there, aren't you? Um, <laughs> but don't we? This is we the do. thing, we right? The, but this is the thing because the reality is, is that um, so much of our multiculturalism yeah. is actually in front of us day mm-hmm. in, day out, every day. Um, and so engage. Mm. Make the point of engaging with the human being yes. that's taking your FPOS payment or, yeah. you know. Mm. Mm. That's, that's what I... That's what I think is yeah. where we should start. Just remembering that we're all actually human beings before anything else. And how are you going to change? How how is this how has this affected you? What what what, what what's Tash going to change? Not that you weren't perfect beforehand, but what, what <laughs> how are things going to change for you? Uh, there's some it, you know there's some interesting things. I had a really interesting conversation with my mother. Mm. Um, so in our family lineage, um, uh, going back a couple of greats, um, there's a grandmother who was from Mumbai, India. And so um, in our family, we are part Indian. Mm-hmm. And it is something that my grandfather used to um, used to uh, joke about and acknowledge only in a um, only in a funny way where he would do a, a really terrible Punjabi accent and ask um, Mr. Patel, who owned the local fish and chip shop, mm. um, for a discount because we're cousins after all. Um, and I remember from a really young age being embarrassed about that and not knowing how to have that conversation or to change that. Um, and fr- and I remember also it being very kind of dismissive um, that, oh, yeah, it's there, but, you know, I mean, it was generations ago. It doesn't make a difference. Mm. Um, and I think... I've always been proud of 
the fragments of, I mean, you know, Scottish and Irish and yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit Welsh and whatever, but I've yeah. always been really proud of those fragments and wanted to learn more and know more. Yeah. And 